0: This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady.
1: Toronto's news. Today's talk.
0: 640 Toronto. I want to start with the Uber lawsuit. Um, you know that the city doesn't have very much money. In fact, broke and being $1.5 billion in debt uh, means not only is there no money, um, you owe money. And you must look for savings and efficiencies and being able to do the right thing financially. One thing you'd love to avoid is is maybe maybe a mega-sized company deciding you've overstepped your boundaries. You've, you've cut into their livelihood. Never mess with people's livelihoods, right? You can't do that. Uh, but that's happened here. Uber thinks the city has overstepped its boundaries and is suing the city of Toronto. Now, I don't know about you, but I would expect Uber's lawyers to be pretty pretty buttoned up. Pretty uh, sensible. They don't just throw lawsuits around like it's the people's court or Judge Judy. They don't do those things. They kind of would look at a case, make sure it's airtight, and then they would launch legal action. More importantly than that, they probably would launch legal action in a case where the city engineers or rather the uh, city's legal analysts told the city, you might get sued if you do this. Because this is something that transpired here. The chief solicitor for the city told the city that you're opening yourself up to all sorts of legal risks. That was the quote from Councillor Brad Bradford yesterday, who was one of seven councillors to vote. What are they getting sued for? What's Uber's problem with the city of Toronto? Well, I'll lay it out again for you. 16 to 7 vote in October. And they decided that they would cap the number of rideshare licenses in the city. So it's not just Uber, but it's Lyft as well. And I'm going to get to more of that in just a second here. They think that's illegal. The company filed an injunction with the Ontario Superior Court of Justice on Monday. I, by the way, I don't think Doug Ford uh, and, the, and the province are going to come running to the aid of the city like they did last week by uploading the DVP and Gardner. I don't think they're going to pay Toronto's legal bills here. I don't think they're going to pay for the outside legal assistance the city of Toronto may need. I don't think the province is going to pay the city's settlement or when they beg Uber to back off and say, we're sorry, we just did something that was really dumb. Please forgive us. Because that's what this looks like. The concept was get cars off the road. Let's freeze the number of licenses available to these ride-sharing companies. What will that do? Oh, we need to decrease congestion in the core. Okay. One of the things that adds to congestion in the core are, uh, have you seen these things? They stick up and they're on the ground, but they're kind of rubbery. You could run it over without denting your car. They're called orange rubber cones. We put those everywhere where there's construction in the city. One of the things that creates pollution and creates congestion in the city is construction. I got it. it's It's a very much a quid pro quo. What do we do? We need it's a chicken and egg rather than a quid pro quo. We need to make the roads better. We need to make sure you can get from point A to B. We need to widen roads, also create bike lanes in case people don't want to drive. I understand the concept behind it. You don't have to agree with everything the city does, but you do get the concept. And Uber in these court documents that were seen yesterday by uh, some members of the media, Say the city didn't give notice of the cap to the public or the drivers, more specifically, or any other stakeholders. They've got procedural bylaws that they violated here. And there is a discrimination factor as well. Existing drivers aren't discriminated against. Prospective drivers are. And the documents go even deeper, saying Mayor Olivia Chow, members of city council. And again, remember, seven of the 23 voted against it. So they're innocent bystanders here, and they did speak out. Bradford being one, Stephen Holiday being another, James Pasternak being another. There were seven councillors that said, please don't do this. And the city went ahead and did it anyway, because they think pollution and decreased congestion was going to be the end result of fewer Ubers. But here's part of the problem with that concept is we're in a situation right now where public transit isn't necessarily reliable. You're also doing this in the winter where not a lot of people want to stand on the uh, side of the road and wait a long time for a car. I mean, you don't usually on a Friday night in July either, but it's a little more comfortable. Let's put it that way. Uh, that en- that ends up being the case. But on nice weather nights, Thursday through Saturday, you know, cars are difficult to get. And what happens? The price surges up. In some cases, three to four times what it usually is. And the Olivia Chow's, and the Gord Perks, and they're, they're entitled to their opinion. They argue it's about the emissions and the cars idling. And when you force people to drive, unreliable transit, construction, you don't want to take your own car, so you want somebody else to give you a ride. Well, that happens organically. It happens organically that there's more need and more crush for there to be Uber and Lyft drivers. And by the way, who's Lyft? A competitor of Ubers. They're watching this going, huh. Uber thinks they got a pretty airtight case. Uber doesn't just sue a bunch of randos on a Monday morning because they feel like it. They think they've got a winnable case here. I wonder if we do. And so this may not be the only lawsuit that's coming towards the city of Toronto. I want to give you this for this evening. We're going to talk to Brad Bradford, by the way, about this on the show a little later on in the morning. And April Engelberg, bottom of the hour. She weighs in on Toronto City Council affairs with us. She can't figure this out for the life of her, and she's a lawyer. So she's going to be able to give you that perspective coming up about 15 minutes from now. I don't know where this goes tonight. Um, James Pasternak, I just mentioned, a city councillor, wants a controversial author not to be able to talk in Toronto tonight. And that always makes me hesitant. It always makes me a little queasy, the idea that we're limiting any concept of free speech. We don't like the censorship police. We've seen censors our entire life, right? Oh, you can't watch this music video. We're going to ban this scene from a movie. Even when movies were restricted and you're like, I don't get it. I'm 16. Why can't I get into Fatal Attraction on a Friday night with my three buddies? We want to see what's going on. What's the fuss about this movie? But this may end up feeling a little bit different tonight. Pasternak represents York Center in the city. And he's strongly urging the Toronto Public Library. Don't give this guy public space. Taxpayer dollars and public space for an event which features Norman Finkelstein, who's an American author and political scientist. He's been sharply critical of Israel, so much to the point that some have described him as anti-Semitic. Now, I think anybody who's ever criticized Israel for anything at one point from some order or another has been told, oh, you're saying something that's anti-Semitic. When you're really criticizing foreign policy, you might be criticizing a politician. I know plenty of people of the Jewish faith that can't stand a certain Benjamin Netanyahu. Can't stand him. Do they, get some, do they get to do something in terms of being critical of him because they're Jewish that I don't or you don't? Well, that's an argument for another day. What happens today is Finkelstein's supposed to speak tonight alongside uh, another uh, investigative journalist named Christian Parenti, and that'll be moderated by a former broadcast journalist named Gene McGuire. The event's called I'll Burn That Bridge When I Get To It which is a title taken from one of Finkelstein's books. Now, this is about academic freedom. The event is sold out. People want to see him. Again, stuff makes me hesitant, right? I'm like, you don't like that rock video in the 80s? Change the channel. You don't think your kids should be watching something? Tell him he can't. And when people who are controversial come to the city of Toronto and there's people protesting outside, I'll give you Jordan Peterson as an example. Well, I might not need to see Jordan Peterson. I might not be terribly interested in what he has to say. But what am I doing standing in the way of others who decide, no, that's my guy. That's my jam. I want to pay the 150 bucks. So I'm really curious to see where indeed this goes tonight. There's a lot of people that sort of tense up at the thought of who Finkelstein is. He said some really controversial things that I would adamantly disagree with over the last seven weeks. But should he be stopped from speaking? And is this just a matter of we want to stop him from speaking? Or this is the Toronto Public Library and Toronto Public Dollars allowing him to speak. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 640 Toronto. This Uber lawsuit against the city. And it was uh, brought to my attention by a listener. And I'd forgotten about it just a couple weeks ago. New York's had these kind of issues as well with um, four higher cars and ride shares. And New York had a cap on it for Uber and Lyft. But the move they made is, they said, "Hey, if you have an electric car, if you're, um, you know, battery powered instead of an ICE engine, w- you're not part of the cap," and that makes perfect sense to me. In Toronto, they didn't even think about that. Like, what if you're, what if you drive an, a, you know, an EV or even a hybrid, and your argument is, "I can bring people to the city, but I can't pick people up." Um, th- that makes no sense. You're absolutely getting in the way of my ability to make extra money and. Pay for food, pay for a mortgage, be a second income for my family. All that stuff like New York's figured this out and uh, and Toronto, New York's at the big person table and uh, Toronto's just got these little chairs, it feels like, with the kids plate when it came to something like this. April Engelberg joins us right now. She uh, ran for city council last time out. You saw you saw the danger of this right away. I mean, you are a lawyer. You've got this tremendous legal background and you saw warning signs the same as seven counselors did that voted against this and said Uber could come back and sue, sue you, April. And now they have.
2: Good morning, Greg. Yes, definitely. So what the city did is they passed a surprise motion and and they said they did it on purpose. They purposely had no notice that they wanted to cap the number of Uber li- or Uber and Lyft or ride share in general licenses to the amount that there was in October 2023, so just recently. And the reasoning was for the environment to meet our our environment goals. But the reality is that Uber is not, is not the enemy in this situation because it actually enables so many Torontonians to not have a license – sorry, to not have a car. Mm-hmm. So, for example, I use TTC, and in situations where the TTC is not going to be practical for my trip, I use Uber. And so it's actually great for the environment in that situation and for many of us.
0: Yeah, the idea of – if you're going somewhere, you're going to dinner or you're going to a concert, that's one thing. If you're going to get four or five bags of groceries – It makes sense that you might need and you don't and you don't have a car in either circumstance. Like, it's great to say walk places, bike places, take take TTC places. There's just those moments, April, in practical everyday life where a car is, is, if not necessary, certainly more helpful.
2: Definitely. So what I would say is on the balance, Uber is not actually bad for Toronto's environment, especially if they were just encouraging people, especially if they were just encouraging more electric vehicles. But I think the way the city went about it was not good, especially because they said on public record that they were purposely not giving notice. So that's not, the Uber is suing them, saying that the city is not following its own policies and procedures, because in general, the city, whenever they're doing something, you know, they consult so much. But in this case, they said they're purposely not. And I believe what they said was if, if they had given any notice for the motion then so many more people would have applied for licenses right before the motion came out yeah so it was it was meant for surprise and that's in my opinion, the reason why they're being sued.
0: And I've saw so many people document, April, um, and I'll say this, uh, when it comes to men and women, there were women very upset about this particular decision, weighing in, going, yeah, what's Toronto City Council doing expanding uh, or rather limiting and not expanding mobility options for women? When if 11 o'clock on a Friday night, don't make me walk four blocks. Don't make me cross down these streets. Bring me a car. I want a car as quickly as I can, and of course I want it to be affordable, and this legislation from Olivia Chow limits that that option.
2: Exactly, and I have experienced that myself. So the the bylaw is in Toronto that taxi drivers are not allowed to reject you because your trip is too short, but they do that all the time. Yeah, so, they do. As, as mentioned, I'm a lawyer, so... I I used to work till midnight till 2 a.m. very very often right downtown and because my trip wasn't that long it was like maybe a five ten minute drive to get home but obviously I didn't want to walk home on a Tuesday at 2 a.m. I would go to the taxis and they they wouldn't take me one after another after another and after the taxis would all reject me saying your trip is too short Um, and that's why I Uber now instead of taxi for the most part because a lot of the time my trip isn't that long but it's late at night and I don't want to walk
0: well, and, and the drivers commit to the trip. I mean, most people, I'm exactly. sure, listening have used it, but the drivers commit to the trip, and then you you know you've got a scenario, as opposed to rolling down the window of a taxi outside a, a busy event, you know, you're at Bud Stage or at Scotiabank, and and you basically tell them they're only going three blocks, and they're like, sorry, not interested. They want to take people to Markham. They want to take people, That's you exactly know, to it. Richmond Hill. They don't want to take you uh, to to Yorkdale, you know, or Yorkville, I should say.
2: Exactly. So that's a really important role uh, for Uber, and I would say definitely as a woman living downtown, I really appreciate it for that reason. I feel like I always have a safe way to get home.
0: Would you have a guess as to how the lawsuit turns out? Would the city settle? Would they walk their legislation back?
2: I don't know. I, I It would be smart for them to just change the decision and, and instead allow for more consultation. I think that would be the smartest decision for them to do is mm. follow their their regular rules and procedures for this one.
0: April Engelberg is our guest on Toronto today. A couple minutes left. Uh, Parthi Candavel is Toronto's newest city councillor. It's a big profile in the Toronto Star by Emily Fagan uh, on him. Um, again, you're one of 25 voices as a councillor, 26 if we count the mayor. Um, but obviously, it's uh, it's it's something that Candavel wants to wants to be a difference maker and wants to be impactful and wants to do politics a little bit differently. It sounds like.
2: Yeah, so I would I would say is there. This is good news for Olivia Chow. There was a by election because. The previous councillor, Crawford, had run for the PC's and not, not won, and then he decided not to go for a seat again. Um, this new councillor will very likely be much more friendly to Olivia Chow and much, much more likely to vote with her. So it's it's good news for her, and it'll be interesting to see how this goes with the new councillor at Toronto City Council.
0: Um, voter turnout. You know, you and I were having a conversation about it yesterday, and we saw it to some extent with even the uh, Ontario Liberal members came out Like you signed up, you got robocalls, you got email spammed and still less than one in four Ontario Liberal members showed up to vote um, on Saturday. We've seen Saturday and Sunday of a week and a half ago. We've seen it happen in in obviously the last couple of municipal elections as well. I'm sure it's frustrating that you go knock on doors, meet people, go to debates and whatnot. And then you see the turnout is basically one in every three people just bothered. What are we, how do we? Is no, there a way to fix it? Not even
2: one in every three, sadly. Yeah. So for so for um, this by-election that we we're just talking about in Scarborough Southwest, I I believe it was twenty-three percent voter turnout. That was roughly what it was in Spadina Fort York when I ran in twenty twenty-two, mm-hmm. and it doesn't seem far off from what it was with the with, with the Liberal leader uh, election that we just had. It, it's we need more people to turn out, and it's really unfortunate, but. People don't feel that inclined to vote in general in Canada, especially for municipal elections and apparently recently with the liberal leader election.
0: Yeah, municipal, it feels like you get a choice. But but even the, you know, the 22 election, we were at twenty nine point one seven percent. It was 40 percent in 2018. Like that's a lot of people just to drop off and have no interest. And even if you think, well, I know John Tory is going to be the mayor. There were all these Mm -hmm. council seats and other things on it and at least other options to vote for. Right.
2: Exactly. And I, as for me as a candidate, I can't tell you how frustrating that was because there would be a condo. These are real examples, but there was a condo at yeah. King and Bathurst, for example, that has over 300 people that, that were allowed to vote, knocked every single door, spent hours in that building, and I believe seven people voted. Oh. Seven out of 300. <laughs> so it's, it's really bad. It's, it's, people need to get more incentivized to vote. Because they otherwise yeah. like, even just for this Uber example, people should be be more engaged um, with city council. Definitely.
0: Yeah. Well, we're doing what we can. April, thanks so much for the time. Appreciate uh, you being uh, the advocate you are. And thanks for coming on the show.
2: Thanks, Greg. Have a good day.
0: There's April Engelberg. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady.
1: Toronto's news. Today's talk.
0: 640 Toronto. I want to talk about this uh, Israel um, rally that happened in Ottawa yesterday. Um, rainy, snowy, but a lot of people made their way up uh from Toronto I know there was some controversy and I think it's fair to discuss and it's noted notably controversial that some buses were booked that didn't end up showing up to bring people um to Ottawa around Ottawa's not you know not a brief bus ride especially in the lousy weather and especially with a congested uh, 401 but I did also see this yesterday um that there's a lot of discussion about well the conflict as a whole in the Middle East and a lot of it's sort of circulating is the idea of we had seven days of hostage releases, right? You watch them on TV. I watch them on TV. And many of the people turned over were families. And at times there were just kids turned over and some elderly people as well. But the concept was, where are all the women? And there weren't a lot of women turned over unless they were with a husband and captured by Hamas as hostages on October 7th. And yesterday, the U.S. State Department spokesman, uh, spokesperson Matt Miller kind of kind of said what I think a lot of people have been wondering about is the reason that they're turning kids over and they're turning elderly people over is they did so many unspeakably awful things. I'm sorry, I know it's morning and I know you may be having your breakfast. So many unspeakably awful things to women they didn't want those stories to be told. Here's Matt Miller, U.S. State Department spokesperson.
3: And all of the atrocities that Hamas uh, carried out on October 7th and the atrocities that they have carried uh, out since, the fact that they continue to hold women hostages, the fact that they continue to hold children hostages, the fact that it seems one of the reasons they don't want to turn women over that they've been holding hostage and the reason this pause fell apart is they don't want those women to be able to talk about what happened to them.
0: I mean, it makes sense. It's got some logic to it. Yesterday, Hamas even put out an official statement, and I'll read you it really briefly. We reject the occupation's lies about cases of rape, which aim to distort the resistance and cover up the image of its humane and moral dealings with detainees. We strongly reject and denounce the alignment of some Western media outlets with the misleading Zionist campaigns that promote unfounded lies and allegations aimed at demonizing the Palestinian resistance, the latest of which is the allegation that resistance members committed sexual violence during the Al-Aqsa. AquaSa flood battle of October 7th. Let me just take 30 seconds and get this straight. You guys are worried about bad PR when you videotaped almost exclusively and then posted it, not just for your own amusement at, you know, the odd party 5 years from now, uh, assuming you don't get blown to bits in the next 5 days, you're just going to show this at parties 5 days no, you posted it to social media. You shared it with the world, so much so that there are screenings of all this footage that was recovered from the Israeli Defense Forces a little bit later on. You're worried about bad PR. You're worried about being accused of sexual assault and not treating ladies really great when you were uh, honestly massacring ladies, men, women, children, boys, girls, grandparents. Makes you think, makes you wonder what kind of world we're living in. But guess what? Some people will buy that side, and that's the world we are living in right now. Kevin Vong's an independent MP host. sits in the House of Commons, and he's a, a GTA MP, and he made the trip from Toronto to Ottawa yesterday to experience uh, this peaceful rally for Israel, and he joins us now on Toronto Today. Kevin, it's great to have you on. Thanks for making the time. Thanks for having me, Greg. Why was this so important for you to do yesterday?
4: I think it was important for, for my wife and I to to stand there uh, in solidarity with Canada's Jewish community, um, to to show them that you know there are people um, from from across Canada, and and there were folks there who, as I understand, came as far as as Vancouver to be able to to stand together, um, united against hate.
0: I must say, I expected more of these type of demonstrations. We saw one on the Monday. I guess it'd be Thanksgiving Monday now, on October the ninth. Uh, up in North York and Mel Lastman Square. but what I, what we haven't seen often in the streets of Toronto or, or any uh, major Canadian city Kevin is um, pro-Israel demonstrations being able to go one way or well pro-palestinian demonstrations go another way. Do you have a theory on, on why we just haven't been able to witness this um, in in sort of harmony if you will?
4: Well, Greg, don't forget there was also one in Toronto at Christie Pitt's as well. Elizabeth yes. and I were there with, uh, at that one. And, and I don't think it escapes people's notice that there's quite a bit of a stark contrast, right, in terms of what what unfortunately many of us in Toronto have, have seen happen in our city and come to expect. But unlike those, yesterday's rally and, and Christie Pitt's rally and, and the one at Mel Lastman Square were, are peaceful, there's no disruption of traffic or vandalism. There's no chance of genocide. And, and in fact, I was seeing people thank uh, the Parliamentary Protective Service and Ottawa Police for keeping them safe and for being there. And I think that's very different from, from what uh, we've unfortunately gotten used to and, and dread to see kind of like what, what the weekend will hold.
0: Kevin Vong is our guest MP for Spadina, Fort York on Toronto today. What stories had an impact on you yesterday? There were a lot of speakers and a lot of people telling, um, telling their anecdotes, uh, young and old alike. What affected you the most?
4: Um, I I think it was meeting or or hearing from, you know, a a family member of, of someone still being held hostage. Um, And, and, you know it kind of brought back memories of of when initially they they had brought the delegation to the hill and and it was it was hard to hear it then and it was hard to hear it again yesterday um but at the same time i think my my wife and i um were were we were we felt the love and the unity there in uh, solidarity and and then greg i, I want to tell you about there were there were three young uh Uh, girls, three sweet, very sweet sisters. And they had these really lovely posters. One of them had a quote uh, from my wife's kind of quote, uh, favorite quote that she says all the time, which comes from Michelle Obama, which is when they go go low, we go high. And in this case, it was a play on the high where high is Hebrew for living.
0: I want to ask you about the other politicians, Melissa Lantzman, who's a a deputy uh, leader of the Conservative Party of Canada, I uh, wasn't shy in calling out other politicians as far as I know uh, the leader of the Conservative Party of Canada was the only um only leader that was there on the hill um why aren't people being louder about this and I, and I mean this on all sides I think it's fair it's fair to lobby criticism at uh, uh, at Israel it's fair to question military tactics it's fair it, it, the, all these are very fair things to do and we've just seen people sort of Run away from having an opinion and run away from saying, "I want the conflict to end period as opposed to being on one side or the other. Why is that?
4: Well, it's obviously really charged uh, emotionally, politically. you know, of Canada's three national parties, unfortunately, only two two were present. Um, and And this is the case, I think for for the screening of of that horrific footage as well of of Hamas filming their own atrocities, whether it was then. Uh, or yesterday's rally, the MVP were absent. Um, and and I think it's important that people are made aware of that and that they're called out for that.
0: Kevin Vong's our guest on Toronto Today. Last thing, um, on the streets of Toronto, I'm just seeing more people. I'm less worried that we're uh, our society is self-destructing, um, but I am worried that we're tearing ourselves apart and it's going to take a while to mend uh, from this. I do think... I'm not going to play the Trump line. There's good people that go out on Saturday and are, are part of pro-Palestinian marches. I think they have their hearts in the right place. I think they have good causes. But often these marches just descend into um, banging sticks on windows and threats and, and just a threatening atmosphere. And I'm, I'm sure there's people that go home from it going, oh, that's not what I hoped it would be or what I thought it was. Where do you see things on the, on the streets of Toronto right now?
4: Yeah, I'm I'm worried about the escalating violence, right? I, I think there were protests that that have targeted Jewish-owned businesses for no other reason than the fact that they're owned by Jews. That's that's a blatant act of anti-Semitism, and and it's started with just basic harassment of of customers of the business and and their staff at Cafe Landwer, which was which is in my riding, um, and then that subsequent week afterwards, it was at Aroma unfortunately, also my riding and, and it escalated to vandalism, right? I'm worried about windows being broken. There have people been that have been assaulted. I'm worried about people getting hurt. And I think it's important that we, we turn down the temperature on this sort of stuff. And remember that, you know, first and foremost, you know, this is, this is Toronto. Um, we have a peaceful right to protest, but that doesn't mean assaulting others or vandalism.
0: Do you want to hear the mayor of Toronto say more?
4: Absolutely. I think she's been far too silent on it, especially because the businesses being targeted are in our city. The people being hurt are in our city. Where is she? Why has she been so silent?
0: Well, and I'd make the point really quick. I'm running I'm running us past the clock a little bit. Um, She'd be the first to speak up and we'd back her if this was an Asian business, a Muslim business, uh, you know, a South American business based on any world conflict imaginable. I just feel like we're, we're, we're kind of playing apples and oranges here when we think this is okay, and we know the other examples I gave would not be.
4: Absolutely. Why, why the double standard, right? Um, we 100% would be there if, if any business was unfairly targeted because of the, of the ethnicity of their owner. Why has she been silent when it comes to um, a Jew owning a business that's been targeted?
0: Kevin, thanks very much for the time, and I appreciate you coming on. And uh, and, and again, for the work you've done the last seven, eight weeks especially, uh, I think we need more politicians to say the things you're saying. Thank you for the time.
4: Greg, thank you for having me, and I want our, our Jewish uh, Canadian community to know that I will continue to support them. Yeah,
0: I, I, yeah, Kevin Vong, our, our guest, uh, independent MP. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady.
1: Toronto's news, today's talk.
0: 640 Toronto. Ben Mulrooney joining us uh, for the next uh, several minutes as well. He's in the chair tomorrow between 5.30 and 9 on Toronto Today. Uh, ben, many people saw uh, Paul Hogan make a big star of himself in Crocodile Dundee, his mm-hmm. inevitable sequel, Crocodile Dundee 2. Not many people went to see him in the movie Wayward Marsupial. I don't know why that didn't work. The trailer looked great. I mean, I, it listen- was...
5: I'm actually thinking of, of of going on to Redbubble.com and making a T-shirt that says <laughs> Wayward Marsupial. Like I think that's an awesome name. With a map of Oshawa. No, are you kidding? Wayward Absolutely. Marsupial. That's a great name. I love it. I'm gonna make it. I swear I'm gonna make a T-shirt. So they. they re- I'm I'm so glad that he said that with a little bit of humor in his mouth in, in in his voice because we. That's how this story should be approached with the care and concern that the animal was sa- was found safe. Uh, but beyond that, it's a fun,
0: fun story. I think so. So we got the news yesterday. I'll show you the the photo. Um, yesterday, uh, a friend of mine who know again, I don't know anybody, but I know people who know people. That's that's in the, in the process. Aww. That's I know the three minutes later she must after so the scared. capture, they've she, got they've they've got the roux she, captured. She must have been so scared. Uh, uh, we and it's a female afraid. kangaroo. Yeah. Nathan, so there's a lot of, there's questions there. I'd, I'd like to see sort of a, an origin story for Nathan, the female kangaroo. Hey, but whatever. Do, it's like, I don't they, judge. It's 2023. 20 my
5: dog's name is Bruce I, Wayne, and it's a girl. Her name is Miss <laughs> Bruce Wayne Mulrooney.
0: But it does, we brought it up earlier, the stretching of the legs. Great. Where's this, where's this kangaroo going to? And I showed my wife video. We went to Busch Gardens about four years ago in Tampa, and the kids were able to feed the kangaroos lettuce. But the kangaroos all looked like kind of lethargic and sleepy. How do you feel when you go to zoos? Is it uh,
5: odd? Is it you're like, I should the, they be here? I think the best ones in the world take really good care of their animals and they do a lot of good work, a little scientific scientific research. Those are the best ones in the world. Um and the word zoo but the word zoo applies to a broad spectrum it of does. organizations. It does. Right. So there's some great places. And and look, uh not every zoo in the world should have every animal in the world. Uh certain ones belong in certain temperatures and others belong in others. So uh, I think if if we could play by certain rules and appreciate the logic of what I just said yeah. then I think you end up you could end up having some really great plays and some people cannot travel to see the world. It would be great if everybody could go to Africa and go on a photo safari, but that's not the case. And mm. so I think having a zoo at the disposal of people who can that expose themselves to uh to certain experiences that they otherwise wouldn't have is 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 of benefit. I don't think we should end a, yeah. a, a, the conversation by saying, "Oh, animals shouldn't be in captivity." In certain cases, it makes sense.
0: It's a weird thing with the Oshawa Zoo because I guess there's a bylaw that says you can't have kangaroos, but the this this particular Oshawa Zoo, it's grandfathered in. You know how guys were yeah. able to play in the NHL without helmets? Yeah. After yeah. Brad Marsh but, is skating around without uh, a what, helmet? What, what it's want, like that
5: with zoos. But what I want to know, it's not just a zoo. It's a zoo and fun farm. Absolutely. And I
0: want to know. you got to put the second part both, in. Tell Cover me more the about this fun farm
5: <laughs> aspect of the zoo
0: uh joanne Bordalis is uh durham region from durham region police services and checking in with us to put a bow on this story joanne uh thanks very much for joining us i really appreciate it no problem we, you've, your phone's probably been pretty active since yesterday morning but that said this didn't have to have a happy ending and when we saw this on our show yesterday that your officers had captured the kangaroo we were all pretty relieved i sent that text message out of the photo to so many people that were just happy that the yeah. kangaroo is okay
1: yeah, absolutely. We're uh, very happy with the outcome, and uh, she got checked out, and as far as I know, she's doing quite well.
5: It's Ben Mulrooney here. First of all, congratulations on catching the kangaroo. I was following this on Toronto this weekend, last weekend. And at, t- tell me, at, at what point did you feel confident that you had a plan in place to capture this This kangaroo. I mean, it's not every day that a marsupial is dropped uh, into the backyard in Oshawa. It it takes a special type of skill. You got to understand the animal. You have to have the tools and the manpower to get it done. So at what point did you think that you'd marshaled the resource and you said, "Okay, we're going to give this a try and we think we're going to be able to get it?
1: in this situation we were pretty lucky because the two officers that uh, captured the kangaroo were the same two officers that took the initial report so when they took that initial report they were briefed by the zoo um, on how to handle a kangaroo properly if you happen to locate it so it was the same officers they located him they knew that the safest way to uh, catch him was to grab him by the tail because they had been briefed on that so they actually had some knowledge on how to catch a kangaroo and uh, when they saw her they were able to uh to to grab her
0: now we saw tabloid reports more in the united states the damn tabloids uh all the time exaggerating stuff that a kangaroo had punched an officer in the face which would be a great story to tell 10 20 years from now but you're going to tell me that that didn't happen there was a little bit of a struggle and no doubt the kangaroo was scared but we're not talking a cartoonish moment where an officer got got punched
1: No, and and that was my first vision, too, was this uh, kangaroo kind of boxing. But uh, I think it was uh, one of the officers had given a, a release yesterday and said that the kangaroo had struck the officer, which is what happened, but not struck as in punched. So they were, uh, you know, apprehending the kangaroo. He obviously got, or she obviously got a little frightened at one point, and I think kind of bounced back and, and made contact with the officer, but definitely wasn't <laughs> a, a little kangaroo punch to the face, and uh, he's doing okay, and the kangaroo's doing okay, and everyone's uh, happy right now.
5: I, I've got to say, this is, uh, I, I'm, su- I'm surprised that the, the city of Oshawa didn't take this ball and run with it and, 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 and start a, a, t- a Twitter page, uh, a Twitter account for the kangaroo lost in Oshawa. Um, what was the sense in that community while this was going on? I, w- I was appreciating it from, uh, fr- from the enclave of this radio station, but what were the people of, of Oshawa feeling as this scared, frightened, but also funny situation was, was unfolding?
1: I think uh, a lot of people they have grown very attached to her. Yeah. And uh, she became a very big part of Oshawa for the last four days. And I think everyone's happy she's relieved and she didn't get hurt. And I know there were some concerns with the weather and other animals out there. So we're very happy with the outcome that we have. And I think everyone in Oshawa is pretty happy.
0: Too. Well, I'm seeing, to wrap up, I'm seeing that the police dogs were involved as well. And, and uh, you know, we can't ask them what they thought. But I would assume <laughs> a police dog who's trained, um, you know, to, to you know do different things is looking at this animal thinking never seen anything quite like this before
1: yeah so we're lucky they had the tools to be able to transport the kangaroo back to the oshawa zoo they their vehicles are, are bigger than a standard size police vehicle so they came to help out and were able to get uh, the kangaroo in their car to to transport her safely back
0: well it's a great it's a great story and again with a phenomenally happy ending yeah. joanne thanks for uh filling us in on the details and putting a bowl on the story for us you're welcome. There's Joanne Bordel, from the uh, Durham Region Police Services. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's News, Today's Talk. 640 Toronto. Our next guest is a city councillor, and he's one of seven councillors uh, that voted against 16, saying this looks like a bad idea for several different reasons. And to credit, Shelly Carroll was one, Lily Chang was one, Jennifer McKelvey was one, Stephen Holliday also one, but Brad Bradford, one of the seven no votes. And he joins us now on Toronto Today. It's great to have you on. Thanks for the time. Good to be here. Thanks, Greg. Are you surprised that Uber decided you're taking us, a private business, and you're affecting the way we do business and you're doing brand damage to the business? We're going to sue you, Brad.
3: I'm not at all surprised. And, you know, part of that stems from the fact I literally asked our chief solicitor, the top lawyer in the city, on the floor of council, point blank. Does this open us up to legal liability? Does this open us up to a lawsuit? And her answer could not have been more clear. Uh, yes, there's a risk with that. Because when you make policy on the fly, when you serve special interests instead of the people of Toronto, when you walk a motion like this on the floor of council without any consultation, without working with stakeholders, without frankly talking to council about it, Um, we are at a risk. And, you know, two months later, here we are slapped with a lawsuit uh, from Uber. And instead of focusing on all the other pressing issues here at the City of Toronto, time, resources, and money are fighting a lawsuit that, frankly, the city of Toronto and the mayor are on the wrong side
0: of. Well, I think you made the point. Um, there's money, certainly a city that um, just got some good news last week with a deal between Olivia Chow and, and Doug Ford and full credit to both sides for getting a deal done. You talked about that on a couple different shows last week. We're here now going, uh, is there going to be um, is, is some of that money, tens of thousands? Could it be a hundred thousand? Are we spending money on legal fees in Toronto to fight a lawsuit that never should have been filed in the first place because of the legislation? Never should have been put through in the first place.
3: Right. And I think a lot of folks are going to be scratching their heads about that. And again, you know, you can have your views on Rideshare. You can have your views on on the taxi lobby, which was really instrumental in pushing this through for the mayor. Um, You can have those views and those opinions. But at the end of the day this is not a responsible way to run a government and 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 again the head of, of legal at the city of toronto the head of municipal licensing they all stood up as our staff as our top bureaucrats as the experts in the room and said this is a bad idea and council ought not to pursue this there are other pathways to achieve this outcome but there's a proper process that should have been in place and you know the mayor and and her allies just sort of uh, turn the other way on that, and and here we are, uh, a lawsuit in our face, and and at the end of the day, as as consumers and Torontonians are already experiencing, pricing is going up, uh, supply of drivers, yeah. of course, is down, longer wait times, and as you just you know articulated in the intro. People want choice, and this has made it more expensive and harder to get around a city that is already very expensive and
0: difficult to navigate and Brad, in a winter as well where when it's colder you're less likely to walk when it's colder you got less time to to shoot the breeze after uh, you know a, a, a ball game or a concert or something waiting for a car to come pick you up. you want to get from A to B when it's minus 10 minus 15 out or even when it's rainy and drizzly like today
3: We should all have the choice. We should all have the choice of how we want to get around the city. And at the end of the day, rideshare, as we have seen over the past decade, has been tremendously successful in providing Torontonians' choice. Sometimes folks are going to ride transit. Sometimes they're going to be in a car. You know, sometimes they might be driving a bike, and sometimes they want to use rideshare. And the unilateral decision from the mayor to restrict the supply of those rideshare vehicles, that means probably more people are going to have to go out and get a car. You know, that that means that those options are limited for people at a time when we want more choice, more affordability. So you see it in the numbers, Greg. Honestly, um, ride share volumes have gone up by 25 percent in Scarborough. So you ask the question, why is that? Well, recently, the Scarborough RT was shut down. So when you when you get rid of choice and when the transit is not there, you know, ride share in in a in a disparate part of the city um, where there is not as much transit, it was filling that gap. And now it's more expensive for people in Scarborough because there's
0: fewer drivers. Brad Bradford, our guest, what is the distinction with the law? But what's the strength of, of the cab industry? But I'd also mention the rideshare industry in lobbying towards public officials. I know there was a big story about a year and a half ago with Mayor Tory uh, because he was accused of some improper links between his office and Uber and that was right there five six years earlier when uh, when Uber was pushing really hard to get into the city and the cab the cab companies didn't want him. How much influence is there from companies pushing on a mayor of of Toronto like a John Tory or now like an Olivia Chow
3: Well, look, I mean, councillors, elected officials, staff, they take meetings with industry stakeholders, and that could be taxis, that could be rideshare, um, on on any number of files. And in my view, it's helpful to get more information. You have to understand where it's coming from and what the perspective is going to be. But getting more information from more people when you're consulting on a file, in my view, is a good way uh, to do it. And that, that didn't happen here in a transparent way. Talking to industry stakeholders, we, we know that the mayor heard from the taxi lobby and we know that there's people with very close connections and ties to the taxi lobby working in her office. We know that. But, um, you know, she didn't talk to, to the other uh- side and that's why we're being sued. So it's important to hear from everyone, but you've got to follow the process. And I think what we're going to see more and more on this story is the process wasn't followed. Um, The city is now exposed to to a legal suit and Torontonians are on the hook for higher fares and poor quality service.
0: It's more a macro issue, but property tax. Um, Obviously, you you ran for mayor and and talked about what what you hope to tax uh, a tax number would be for uh, um, municipal taxes for for homeowners in Toronto. Are we going to know that number before end of the calendar year? or Is that more an early January decision, do you think?
3: It's it's really up to the mayor. Um, It's her budget. Uh, I haven't been read in on any of that. You know, I've seen the consultations going on in the city. Uh, It's a lot of conversation about how much more money do we want to spend. I'm not hearing anything from this mayor or her administration on how we're going to control costs. And you know, for a lot of folks in their household budget, that's that's what we're doing right now. Interest rates on mortgages have gone through the roof. Rent is more expensive. Groceries are more expensive. So Torontonians are in cost control measure. Uh, I'm not seeing that at the city of Toronto and people are gonna have to budget probably for a significant tax increase um, because I'm just not hearing a lot of discussion about how we can manage affordability for Torontonians at a time when it's getting increasingly difficult to afford to live in this city.
0: I gotcha. Brad Bradford, thanks for the time today. We'll see you soon. There's Brad Bradford, uh, Toronto city Council, joining us